When I think back, starting Restoration Road, I remember I had a conversation with Dave in my backyard. I said, Dave, come over. I want to talk to you about something. And Dave had lived, he lived in Wakefield at the time. And, um, he came over. We sat at the fire pit, no fire. And I said, Dave, what do you think about coming on this church plan? He said, absolutely. I don't think I finished the sentence before Dave answered the question. I went on to ask, Dave, have you talked to Sarah about this? He said, I'm in. I still don't know if he did before or after, but they've been here in a healthy way. So we had our leaders. We got Joffrey. He was here for a little while pastoring with us. We had about 15 people. With children, we had maybe 20 to 23 men, women, children when we started. They were all from uh, different places. Like we came from Seven Mile Road. And the thing about Seven Mile Road is they reach a lot of transient people. God bless them, they're called to do that. When I walk in there, they can tell I have an accent. That's when you know people are reaching transient people. When you walk in here, we know when you're from the south. That's how we roll Restoration Road. So what happened? We've got people from Oklahoma, people from Texas, people from different places. And within two years, everyone went home to the good old south on us, which was to the glory of God. We still stay in relationship with them and all those good things. But God has grown this. You know how many founding members are still here? It's under 10. We have maybe six to eight founding members, and we have about 70 plus who are part of the church right now. That's how many people God is reaching with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our goal, when we plant a restoration road, we had a certain people in mind. We said, that's why you plant churches. You plant churches, it's the greatest evangelistic tool on earth. We said, we're going to plant churches to reach unchurched people, unchurched, indigenous, broken Bostonians. We had this group of people that we were going fishing for. i got to take my inhaler out of my pocket. It's driving me crazy. Can you show me some grace on that? When you get distracted by an inhaler, why do you think I preach the gospel of grace? I got the attention span of a fly. So we went on this thing. Now, Seven Mile Road is planting churches, planting a bunch of churches, all those kind of things, but they're reaching a certain people. And if you're going to start an autonomous church, you're going to say, what? I'm going fishing for different people. Now, just like the gospel, you start out with the affinity. God chose the Jewish people. He knew them. He protected them. He had relationship with them. And then it spread out. You start, and Jeff Vanderstill says it. It starts with the affinity, then it goes to diversity. We have people from other places from Boston here, but we fish for unchurched, indigenous, broken Bostonians. You better know where you're shooting your arrow if you're planting a church. You know how many people we baptized in the last four years? I got so excited about this when I looked at this. We baptized 23 people in four years. Do you know how many people fit either two out of four or three out of four of that um, identity we talked about reaching? 21 out of 23. One was from New Hampshire. I wanted to count him. from He's from New England. He's a Pats fan, but I said that ain't right. And we baptized Paul from Minnesota. Vikings fan, sent him home. But can you believe that? 23. And we got three more people that are local and and fit that description, all that, getting baptized. So that's going to be 26 people baptized in four years that were were not either going to church regularly or were working through what the gospel was or trying all that kind of stuff. 
we're succeeding by the grace of God. Amen? Isn't that awesome? I want to give you today just a little bit of the Great Commission because this, you know how people sometimes it seems like they come up with their own vision and say, where'd you get that from? We're not coming up with our own vision. Jesus gave the Great Commission and we need to contextualize it to the people we're called to. Because let me tell you, I want you to feel the weight of this. There's a lot of lost people out there and God calls the church to be the instrument that reaches them with the gospel. We don't feel the weight of that enough. We don't feel the weight that people are going to hell. We don't feel that. We don't even want to talk about that. We don't feel the weight that people don't know that the only way to be reconciled with God is through Jesus Christ and through the gospel. And like Paul said, how will they know unless someone preaches it today? I hope your heart burns with evangelism after this message today. But we need to understand how important the church is. If Christ died for it, that shows you the value of the church. That God himself died for it. Show how valuable it is because of what it does. First of all, bring glory to God. And second of all, having the heart of Jesus, seeking and saving that which was lost. The church is not a one-hour meeting. And we're going to get out of that this year. It's not a one-hour meeting when we check off a box. That's dead religion. A church is a people on mission to reach a certain people and we're all given our lives daily because the calling is that important and the mission, there's nothing else more important. It's an eternal work. I read a quote this week, it says, when you build down here on earth, you build too low. What they were saying, when you waste your life on temporary things, when we waste our life on things that are passing away, we're wasting it, wasting our life. And then he will do that. He'll put shiny things in front of you. He'll put sins in front of you. Say, this is better. That is better. Enjoy this now. But Christianity is all about laying down your life for eternity. And when you give your life to see souls saved and people grow as disciples of Jesus, that work never ends. That's eternally rewarding. I sit home and I think about the families that change and the lives that change. And I'm saying, this is just, listen, this is passing. You, we got, what, 60, 70 years? You eat vegetables, 95? I don't know. It's a quick life. We're like dust. But what lasts forever is our soul and our being, worshiping Jesus. And what you learn here now about God, you will know in eternity. And we'll still be learning in eternity. But it's an eternal work. We need to start thinking we're saving people from the darkness and bring them to the life. Save them with condemnation and bring them to grace. Save them from separation and bring them reconciliation with God. It needs to be that serious. Because it's the most serious thing. So let's turn to Luke 28, 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's three things I want you to pull out of this that we're going to rotate on culture here. One is disciples. They were in awe of Jesus and the gospel. They fell down and worshipped him. They were in awe of Jesus, everything he did, who he was, that he was the God-man, that he was willing to die for him, that he was sinless, that he rose again. They were in awe of the gospel. Second thing, Jesus would commission the disciples to evangelize and they would change the world forever. There's roughly two billion people just now who believe in Jesus. That started with 12 men going out, being equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit and changing the world through evangelism. And third, the disciples were, were not only focused on growing as disciples, but making other disciples. So this is the rhythm I want you to hear today. 
A church that's all about the gospel, a church that's all about evangelism, and a church that's all about making disciples. And give you a quick vision of what we're kind of looking at in this church. When I was younger, I had a vision to start a family. <clears throat> um, I wanted to get married young. So when God changed me at 19 years old, I went straight holy Puritan style. Like I was like, I'm being holy, I'm not dating, I'm not being promiscuous, I'm not doing any of that stuff because he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. So I'm going to honor that scripture and go forth. So I was like on fire, like this is going to work. Four years, holy, tough, in my prime, you don't understand. 19 to 23. I dated three times. Like I'm talking about, I went on a date with uh, someone from Rhode Island. Like we dated far for a month. Nothing really happened. It wasn't meant to be. Moving on. Number two, I dated another one. One date wasn't about it. Number three, Natalie, 16 years later. I did that because I had a vision for my life to married young. So I made the sacrifices that I need to make. I did a five-year apprenticeship that was the biggest nightmare of my life. Getting up at five in the morning, no matter what I do, I'm not a morning person. Do you understand me? Five years of getting up at five in the morning, you think your, your clock would change. No. I come alive about ten. That's when I come alive. It's walking the streets. Five years of that. Got my electrical license. Did all those things because I had a vision to get married young, have a family, and have two to three kids. That was my plan. I wanted a small house with a fireplace. That's all I wanted. I didn't want too big because I want to clean it. I wanted a fireplace. I wanted to be in a good town where I could raise my kids in a good school system, and I wanted to raise them in the ways of Jesus. So that was my dream. And being in a marriage where we were healthy, gospel-centered, loved each other, had fun, all that stuff for the rest of my life. That was my vision. When I met Natalie, she had the same vision. She loved Jesus, first and foremost. <clears throat> she wanted a smaller family than two. I got to have two. She was like one. I said three. We met in the middle. Who knows if there'll be surprises? You never know. I'm not trying to say she's pregnant. <laughs> but we had the same vision. We wanted uh, a gospel-centered family. We wanted to have two or three kids. We wanted a smaller. We didn't care about the size of the house or the glamour of the house. We just, I don't know if she wanted a fireplace, but she got one because I wanted it. And we wanted to be in a, a, a good school system, and we wanted our kids to follow Jesus. <clears throat> when visions meet like that, they're fruitful. When two people have the same vision, they make the sacrifices for it, they allow God's grace to strengthen them and through it, you see it come to fruition. Here we are. We've been married for 14 years in April. Um, we have two beautiful daughters. we got a small house, 948 square feet of love, a fireplace. We live in a great town of Wakefield where they have a great school system, and we're raising our kids to follow Jesus. I had a vision for a church, too. This church would be a church who reached the people I was talking about. Reached on church people. Reached broken people. I wanted this church to be filled with single moms. To be filled with the fatherless. To be filled with those who were divorced. To be filled with people who were broken. And maybe other church cultures said, you need to get right before you come here. We say come here and God will make you right. So I had this vision for all the brokenness of and one day we'll, we'll do more even with the brokenness, broken, but we're serving the homeless and, and serving the broken and being there for those who suffer from addiction. That was the vision I had, and therefore, that's why we name it Restoration Road. Because I wanted people, when they hear the name of this church, say, I'm messed up, 
That's where I need to go. My vision wasn't a mega church. My vision was probably a church of when all said and done about 300 people. I think in the next six years, I want to see Restoration Road grow to 150 people. You know, it's four years in. We got about 70 plus, average about 60 at our growth rate. We'll be at about 150 people. This church right here, I think we're probably going to be here for the long run. I'll tell you one thing. We don't like to sit close to each other as Bostonians. This place will fit 400, but it gets 300 in here comfortably. You guys know what I'm talking about. Don't sit too close. You'll aggravate somebody. But the reason I say 150 in the next six years and our current growth rate is is going in that trajectory and 300 is because we want to plant churches. We don't want to be all about us. We want to plant churches. And that means sending people, resources, finances, and training. I'd love to see five to seven churches planted out of Restoration Road. Autonomous churches, most likely. That someone feels called to a people, led by the Holy Spirit. We train them up. We send resources where the Holy Spirit leading, and they go plant. Pastors who are committed to a people, who are gritty, who don't give up, and who love the people so much that they'll lay their lives down for it. So that's kind of what we're looking at with Restoration Road as a church. Um, But there are four things I want this family to be like. Because everyone always focuses on strategy. What's our strategy? What we really need to focus on is our culture. Because when you have a good culture, the family grows. When you're at home with your family, you focus on how everyone's loving each other. You're focusing if you're spending on time with each other. You're focusing if you're worshiping God together. You focus on those things and naturally, organically, you see the family grow and people want to be around that family. And just like, you know, so I have two daughters. But I look forward to the day that they have grandsons. I look forward to the day because it's not just about you think about them too. You don't think about the kids they have and then the kids they have and then generations are following Jesus. The same with the church. Some might say, oh, 300. But you don't understand. You say, you have a church of 150 in six years and 300 with all said and done and you plant seven churches that have 300. Do you know how many people that is? That's over 2,000 people reached. The, the world doesn't need Joey Thompson. They need Jesus. You know what I mean? And so if we can plant churches where people are giving their lives and those kind of things, you're going to see so many disciples made and people saved from the darkness to the light. So there's three things I want you to think about. All about the gospel. We try to talk about the gospel all the time here. And news is best. The gospel is good news, simply put. News is best when you think you're going to get bad news. Agreed? When you think someone's going to give you bad news and it's good news, that's when it's the best news. Some people come to church and they have the gospel wrong. They think they're coming to church for bad news. Like, all of us already know we're messed up when we walk through those doors. Can I get an amen? There we go. That was the biggest one yet. You come through those church. It's not. Some people preach the gospel of God forgives good people. So I need to become a better person. So God forgives good people. I need to, God doesn't love sinners, so I can't be transparent about my sin. So i got to put a mask on. And I want to read these few things to you. Some people believe God will only accept me if I get rid of all my problems, struggles, and sin. That's not the God we serve. God doesn't love you 
when you get rid of your problems, struggles, and sin. He loves you while you have your problems, struggles, and sin and works through and with you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people believe the bad news that God will bring me back into relation with him only if I learn to behave right. How's that working? All this thinking is bad news and not the gospel, and some church cultures are built on it. Therefore, people are, these things are, they're judgmental. I hope you don't feel like we're judgmental around here because the gospel is so big to you. But when you don't get the gospel, the church culture becomes judgmental. Because you start thinking you're better than someone else. Wow, man, I don't watch TV as much as them. I don't watch those bad Netflix series like Dexter because I'm so holy. Like you start to compare yourself. You start to judge them. Like look at the way they dress. Look at the way they act. You know, look at what they posted on Facebook. How dare they? Like you become so judgmental. When you get the gospel, you're like, we're all so messed up. I expect people to post crazy stuff on Facebook. When I look at Facebook, I said, we're so messed up. Actually, we're doing pretty good today. Only four blowouts. It becomes fake, a culture, when it's the bad news. It becomes so fake. Is there anything worse than wearing a mask when you come to church? Like, who's smiling every time they come here? I want to know your diet. Like, how are you? That's no one smiling all the time. And some church culture you come into, it's just like, how are you doing? I'm unbelievable right now. God is on the throne and I'm rejoicing. Come on. We know the truth. The more excited you are, the more you're faking. We have days where you're excited like that. There's days I come in here, I'm like, whoo! You know how we do. I'm grace, grace, and I'm all over the place. Like, this is awesome. There's days I walk in here. Today, I had such low energy. And I started saying to myself, the allergies are killing me. Can I get an amen on the allergies, anyone else? What a week. I'm like, I'm getting back in the pulpit and the ragweed's up. That ain't right. I had such low energy. And I'm coming in here. And I'm like, I've been out of the pulpit. i got to act like I'm a leader and tell everyone, yeah, let's go forth. Let's do it. And I was like, I just told everyone, listen, I'm low energy. Pray for me. And I just kept drinking electrolytes. Because the gospel's still true whether I'm low energy or high energy. I don't have to fake that because you don't do that in family, do you? As a dad, I'll tell my family when I'm not feeling good. My wife will tell me, you know what? Who's in the family where everyone's smiling every time they come home from work? And if you raise your hand, you're lying. That's what the bad news does. It creates cultures where there's no life, where there's no true intimacy, where there's no true church, where there's no true gospel. And it becomes condemning because you can't, Behave well enough to earn God's favor. And if you have a church of people that are trying to behave well enough to earn God's favor, you're going to have a group of condemned people because you're going to fail every week. Every week you're going to fail. Like the Apostle Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Yet there is no condemnation for those who live in Christ. Of course, we don't use that as a license for sin, but it's a license of reality when we say, man, there's something wrong with me, but God's still showing me grace. See, that's a bad culture that doesn't get the gospel. The vision for this church when it comes to the gospel is we're people who gather around the truth of the gospel, making it the center of who we are. How we love each other, how we walk, how we talk, how we treat each other, how we live, and how we relate to each other. This is how the good news is. God loves and forgives us while we are sinners, causing us to grow in grace and become more like his son Jesus. God's loving you while you're a sinner, and that's what's changing you. 
God accept, accepts me with all my baggage, sins, and shortcomings because Jesus bore it all on the cross. You know, sometimes we think we're adding to our salvation. You know, I was down watching the fireworks down at the lake this summer. We got a great spot, and we're waiting for those fireworks, and they're fighting off these beautiful fireworks, and they're beautiful, and me and my family are watching. We're like, they're awesome. Then some knucklehead is over in his backyard and popping off these little fireworks, and it's distracting from the good stuff. So I keep looking over like, this. I hope this dude stops. In his backyard, he thinks he's unbelievable. He's like, they're going to love it. And he's popping them off. And I'm thinking, this dude is ruining the show, bro. Stop. And he's popping them on. Him and his buddies, you know, try to drink a beer, high five. And I'm like, this is ruining it. It's ruining the fireworks. Finally, it stopped. I prayed for them. But it reminded me of the gospel, what we try to do. The gospel is so beautiful on its own. Jesus did it all. If you get a view of that, that changes your life. And here we are trying to fire off our works. And dudes are like, what, will you stop it? I'm trying to enjoy the show. I'm trying to enjoy the beauty and the glory. I don't need to see your weak works that you think are unbelievable. They take away from the gospel. That's why I would say we're filthy sinners. There's nothing good in us, like Scripture said. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But there's one who is above. And if you look at him, it's the most beautiful view there is. Amen? I went uh, I went up to North Conway on the Adatash badge. A three-day extravaganza. We got, my brother-in-law got us an unbelievable deal at the Red Jacket. Like, I don't find the deals, man. I'll pay the money. I'm not that uh, Groupon. Donna calls 4 o'clock. I got a Groupon. Got to get it. I'm like, moving on. I don't get Groupons. I should. But we got a deal this time. It was like we got an unbelievable deal to stay in these two rooms at the Red Jacket. So I walk in, and you got to understand, my brother-in-law, Devin, got it. He got the rooms. He found the deal, all the stuff. I walk in. He gets his room. I go up second. And I say, all right, can I get my room? He guy looks at me and says, you want a Mountain View? I said, why not, brother? I said, let's do it. He said, you want it near the lobby? I said, come on, brother. Let's do it. I went into the room, great room. I walked through, everything's clean. That's Natalie. She first checked, is everything clean? The beds were high, fresh smell. I walk in. I walk out on the porch. It's one of the most beautiful mountain views you've ever seen in your life. I instantly say to myself, I wonder if Devin got a mountain view. Because I know how he's going to (laughs) respond if he didn't get a mountain view. So Dev calls. We're talking about the rooms. I said, how's your room? Good. If I say, you get a mountain view. He said, no, did you? I said, yeah, bro. He loved me through it, but he was bothered he didn't get a mountain view. And he showed much grace. But the reason I tell that story, because every morning I go out on that porch and I look at those mountains and they were unbelievable. I posted one of the pictures on Instagram. I was like, it was breathtaking because I realized that's God's craftsmanship and he made all that. And you guys got to understand, it's good to just sit back and look at creation. And I sat back and I'm looking at creation, I'm saying, it just made me, it relieved stress. I felt at peace. I wanted to tell everyone about it. I was like, what are you doing? I'm looking at mounds, bro. And I just felt anxiety leave because the view affected my demeanor. The reason I share that with you, because if we're going to be all about the gospel, the best view you can have is a sinner looking up at the cross and seeing everything they needed, everything they hoped for, everything they ever wanted at that cross. It's the best view you can ever get. It's where God's love and mercy and power all come together that the divine one, the sinless one, was willing to die for sinners like you and me. 
you need to take that view in every day. It's a daily practice. I daily have to say, this can't get old. And I have to look at that gospel and see the work of Jesus, that he is the greatest power there is, and no one is more powerful than Jesus. And he is our savior, he is our friend, he is our God, and our king. When you see that view, everyone's trying to behave better. Let me tell you the secret. Because you guys know how it is. You've been saying I'm going to be better forever, right? It's not about trying harder. Yeah, hearts want to be more holy. It's about looking in that view. And when you see that view, you are changed and you act differently. Anyone have a near-death experience or know someone who had a near-death experience and the most grateful, loving people the next day? Dude, I almost died. I didn't realize how many good things I have in my life. I love you, bro. Get over here. I'm going to cry. Know why? Because they got a view of what could have happened. And it affected. They didn't say, they didn't wake up and say, I'm going to be so nice to people today. I'm just going to love people today. I'm going to do it. They got a view and realized almost died and lost everything and it changed who they were. When you get a view of the gospel and what Jesus has done and is doing in your life and is going to do with coming back again, restoring all things, you change and become more like Jesus. That's why we have to keep the gospel at the forefront. We have to be on awe, in awe of Jesus. Let me ask you this. Of all the things in your life, Does the gospel of Jesus Christ bring the most awe in you? The most affection, the most shouting, the most love, the most passion. Some of us wasted on the patriots. We just like, yeah. I don't know what just happened. Some of us waste all our excitement on stupid things. I like football, I like basketball, but it's not as big a deal as we make it. It really isn't. And I still enjoy that shirt, Becca. Number 12, Brady, we got to represent. I'm not saying don't be a Patriots fan. What I'm saying, we, we waste all our shouts. We waste all our gatherings. Like, I wish people gathered people at their house like the lost, like they do for Patriots games. I wish people were like, we got the gospel over here. Get chicken wings. Everyone wear this color shirt. Show up. We're going to go bananas for the gospel. I wish there was that kind of passion. I wish dads were reading their son in the gospel like they do with the pigskin. Just out there like, just show my son. And you're like, that's not the ultimate. Listen, teach your kid how to play pass. Teach him how to shoot a good jumper, good form. But that is not the ultimate. We should be raising our sons to know the gospel, rejoice in the gospel, shout about the gospel, and share the gospel. Amen? Because that's what should cause the most awe in our lives. That's what should make our heart beat and fire go through our veins more than anything because that's what's going to eternally matter. I love giving these messages when it's open in day because it messes everyone up when they go home to watch the game. They're like, I'm going to enjoy it. I don't care what Pastor says. I'm going to enjoy the game. I love the Patriots. He ain't, it ain't idolatry, daughter. This is my job to mess you up. So we get all about the gospel. Second vision, all about evangelism. If you love people, you will share the gospel with them. If you love your reputation, you won't. If you are afraid of what other people think, then you're allowing self-love to exceed your love for others. If you really believe that people are only saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and that he is the only path of God, and all who reject Christ will inherit hell, will get hell, will get punished, then if you're a loving person, you will share the gospel. 
And you won't care about what people think about you. Too many times, we let people go by in our lives that we know we should be sharing the gospel with because we love ourselves more. And I want to say all of us. I'm talking to myself. Just to give you an example, this is the parable of the skunk. There was a skunk out here this week. I never thought I'd feel bad for a skunk. He was there for like a whole week. And Abijah from the Tamil church came and said, Joey, there's a skunk that's stuck down in there. Can you help me? And me and Dave were downstairs. And I went down, and this skunk was so pitiful. Like he's in the corner, hadn't eaten a week, just shaking. At this point, his stink gun didn't even work, man. Like you weren't even afraid of this dude shooting you. And I said, man, this is pitiful. I said, man, I might leave him. I don't got time. We were doing an assessment for leadership track. I'm like, I don't got time for this skunk. I'm going to leave this skunk. This is I don't even like skunks. And I was like, we can't do it. We can't do it. We got to save the skunk. We didn't know who to call. Do you know you can call the police about a skunk? I mean, the police officer laughed, but you're supposed to call it. No one, no one gets a skunk. So we started saying, how can we do this? I had this thing. I was going to try to hook the skunk and get him out. I said, this is bad. This ain't going to work. We're going to try a basket. We tried all these things, and we're all working together. And finally, said Dave said, let's put a ladder in there, and maybe he'll climb out because they're nocturnal at the end of the night. I said, Dave, that's a great idea. We put a ladder in. We brought water down. Dave almost got shot. I'm telling you, I kind of wanted to get shot just so the story would be better. I was like, Dave, you're getting too close. And he kept walking. And I was like, he's going to shoot you, dog. He's going to shoot you. But he kept going. And he put this water there. And then we said, we need more. So we're dropping granola bars in there. And he's eating the granola bar. And we're trying to get him over. The reason I tell you the story is because you remember it. It's got some humor. And you can apply it to your life. First of all, do you guys understand? Let me give the end of the story, which is the best part. I came out the next morning and the skunk was gone. He found that ladder, got his water, got his granola bars, and he was off. He was saved. We saved the skunk. The reason I tell you that story is the church is the instrument God has called to save people from darkness to light with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like the ladder was used for the skunk to get out, we are that ladder We are called to give the gospel. We are the vessel that God chose to bring people to freedom. Do you guys hear me? Jesus died for this. He died for us. And everyone thinks too much personal evangelism. And that's why we fail. Be a personal evangelist. But you need... um, Evangelism is a community project. I think Steve Timmis said that and Tim Chester. Evangelism is a community project. You have to bring them to meet the family. Everyone watches The Bachelor, right? I get hooked. Bachelor Paradise will mess your life up. For some reason, I watch it sometimes. It's just ridiculous. But I can't stop myself. Pray for me. I need to be sanctified. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Natalie's watching. I'm like, all right, set it up, man. Get the chips out. I can't stop. And so, what was I saying? See, it's what I get for joking. It's a community project. Meaning, what do they do on The Bachelor? It could be great between them two, all the stuff. What's the big thing? Bring them home to meet the family, right? Because if it doesn't go right with the family, they're not going to want to be in a relationship with this person. I remember JoJo brought someone home and the brothers were crazy and it didn't work out. Everyone knows. We all need to repent. Too much watching Bachelor in Paradise. In the same way, you've got to understand, 
This community, this family is so powerful because we all have different skill sets. When you bring them home to the family, Jesus does that work or the family goes to them. Do you understand me? Now, you might not be that social, but you need to share the gospel with someone. Then you bring them to someone like Alex and he wants to talk their head off, right? You might not be someone who buys things for people. You might not be that hospitable, but you bring the family, all of a sudden Joe Vex giving them shoes, jeans, and a t-shirt from Salvation Army. You might not be a hugger. You might not be affectionate. Bring them in here. Nancy will get them. Right? She'll just be like, where have you been? I just met you. I love you. Like you got all these gifts in the family. That's what we are the best when we're a team who are evangelizing. And many people do that with the pastor, right? Like, Joe, I want them to hear you preach, so they bring, because I might have a gift of exhortation. They want to hear that gift. Now, it's not just the gift of preaching. We all have gifts. They need to meet the family, and they will find a home. 90% of them will say, I'm loved here. I'm not judged here. The gospel is here, and they want to be part of this family. So remember that. We have to be all about evangelism, and we have in many ways. 23 people baptized in four years is awesome. But God is going to keep using Restoration Road. We're going to see so many baptisms and people changed and brought from darkness to light. Amen? So, all about the gospel. All about evangelism. And all about discipleship. Now, we're starting a new sermon series next week through 1 Timothy. It's going to be called Disciple, Maturing in the Faith. One of the things I want us to, one of the things I want us to be really thinking of this coming, um, year is what it means to be a disciple. How do we make disciples and how do we live like that? Um, cause Jesus, what did he do? What was the plan? He said, go and make disciples. They were disciples who made disciples. So this is the definition I want you to hear today of what a disciple is. We're going to be using this year. It's from Jeff Vanderstill. He has a couple good things that I wanted to use. A disciple is someone who worships Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and learning to obey Jesus and teaching others to do the same. Okay? We're going to keep putting that towards you this year so you think about discipleship. How do we do discipleship? Life on life, they say, or we'll say person to person. And I'm going to expound on this. Life in community, which means everyone in community. You can't be a disciple without being discipled by other people in a community. And finally, life on mission. Every disciple is on mission. That means everyone on mission. We're no longer just meeting on Sunday. Sunday's is a great time, but we're going on mission on day. What is the mission? To make disciples. You know, we say we're here to restore people to God, community, and purpose. And we're going to add by making disciples who make disciples. One of the best ways I see disciples made is in AA. What do they do in AA when you come to AA? You've got to get a sponsor, right? You need a sponsor. What is the sponsor? Who's the sponsor? Sponsor is someone who's discipling you. The community has the same goal. What is the mission of uh, AA? It's to stay sober. So that message is taken out to everyone. What are you going to do? Be sober. Come here. You can get sober. We're going to help you be sober. You're being discipled. And what happens to a lot of people? The spons- people who are being sponsored become sponsors. So you have this discipleship that keeps going on naturally. Because it's not just about the pastors discipling people. It's about everyone discipling each other. Now what I want us to really see. This year is the first year we're going to intentionally say we need to be discipling each other because the community you are around, you will become like. This is like for many of you. I want you all to keep your friends and keep your family, but they shouldn't be your primary community. They shouldn't be your primary community. Your primary community is the church. That's your family. And of course your family, I'm talking like mother, father, of course they're primary. You guys understand that. But what happens to a lot of people, they try to keep their community of friends 
and be part of the church this Sunday, and they never grow because they're like, they're, you're going to be like who you're around. In your small community of 10 to 15 friends, there's a pastor there, there's a deacon there, there's someone who leads, there's someone who lays down doctrine, there's hidden law. It's like its own little home group. And you will be like them. Everyone says, man, I gotta be drinking less. I gotta be smoking less. I gotta be less like this. I gotta be less violent. I gotta stop this. I gotta be more disciplined. You're not gonna get around that if you stay around a group that's centered not on the gospel. If the whole center of your group is partying, know what you're gonna be known for? I'm a partying dog. If the whole center of your group is about smoking weed, I, I was around those dudes in high school. They're funny. They got it on the hat, the shirt, the smoke. You're going to be all about smoking weed. And there's so many things. You can get to, I don't want to go too far because I sound insulting people. But there's so many groups that are centered on things other than the gospel. If that's still your primary group, you're not going to grow as a disciple of Jesus. The church needs to be your primary group so you all are going towards the same goal. And so this is in closing. I want to tell you what we're going to do this year. This is a phrase I want us to all be thinking of. I'm all in. Some of you have been on the fence for years. Years. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, I, I, I'm not in. I'm kind of in. Jesus calls us to commitment. When he called his disciples, he said, lead of everything and follow me. Some of you need to be all in on the gospel, all in on community, and all in on mission. It's time to be all in. It's time where this becomes your community and love your friends and love your family. Of course, I'm not saying you have to leave them, but it's time that you're on the mission of God. And these are the things we're going to do. We need you to be committed all in and growing for affection for God through the gospel. I want the gospel to be that which is you are most excited about, most thankful for, most energetic about, and most humbled by. I want you to be asking your question. Is the gospel what brings the most joy and energy to your heart? Is it? We need you to be all in on that and see the work of Jesus. Secondly, we need you committed to evangelism. Some of you, the good thing is you're around a lot of unbelievers. We need you to commit this year. Who is that family member you have to talk to? Who is that friend you've been needing to share the gospel with? Who is that person you need to invite to church and stop allowing the enemy to keep you afraid? Trust Jesus that he's calling people in your life to accept Jesus and your evangelism will be fruitful. I need you all in on evangelism. Some of you, there's there's people popping in your mind right now. I need to talk to him. I need to talk to her. I need to sit down with them. Enough is enough. Hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you. you got to do that. The third thing, we need you all in on being a disciple of Jesus. So we're going to start, the last Tuesday of this month, we're going to start a pilot missional community. And I want all of you, some of you, God has been speaking to you in your heart. And you know that God's calling you more than just coming one hour a week. He's calling you to be part of the community and be part of the mission. We're going to meet every week. So these are the changes. Both groups, both house churches are joining together. We're going to do a pilot missional community. And we'll teach on everything that means. We're going to meet right here on Tuesday nights. So we're going to have dinner every week. We're going to pray together. We're going to do soul care. We'll have some fun times. All those kind of things every Tuesday night. It's time for you to become a disciple that makes disciples. I want you to ask you, who is discipling you? And who are you discipling? And it's time to go all in on those things. All in on the gospel, all in on evangelism, and all in on being a community on mission. Restoration Road, we're going to be a church that plants churches. God's going to do that. He's planned that. 
He's preordained that. He's done all that sovereign stuff for us. We're going to plant churches. We're going to fill this place out. We're going to fill this place out in the coming years because the gospel changes lives. And if we're reaching those people and sharing the gospel, that's going to happen. What we need from all of you in order to see this vision come to fruition, we can't be complacent. We can't be lukewarm. We can't be on the fence anymore. We've got to be all in. Amen? And I want everyone who's hearing this today, don't put this off. Today is the day that you say, I'm going all in. Enough's enough. You know, I used to play Hold'em, Texas Hold'em all the time. Remember when it was big? And there's a difference between going all in when you're bluffing because you're just like, oh, man, are they going to figure this out? I shouldn't have done it. Oh, man, are they trying to keep your poker face on? And when you're going all in when you have a full house, doesn't that feel good? You got like a straight royal flush. You're like, I think I'm going to go all in. The reason I share that is you got a royal straight flush. If you go all in, Jesus is with us. He's for us. He always will be with us, and he will change lives. And we see people restored to God, community, and purpose, and we'll see many disciples here in Wakefield and beyond. Believe that. 